Welcome to African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. I'm your host, Marie Strotter. Please do go to anchor.fm forward slash A-A-C-O-N-S or brightnews.com or acons, A-A-C-O-N-S dot substack.com to subscribe to this podcast and to our commentary. Today is my favorite day out of the month because it's Alan West week. So with no further ado, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Alan V. West is a combat veteran of 22 years where he served in uniform. Uh, He was a member of the 112th Congress, serving as a representative from Florida. Further, he served as chairman of the Republican Party of Texas and was a gubernatorial candidate for Texas. He is currently the executive director of the American Constitutional Rights Union, the author of three books, and is the host of his own podcast, Steadfast and Loyal. Welcome back to the show. It's good to be with you, Marie, and Happy New Year to you and all the listening audience. Happy New Year to you, which leads into my first question. Do you do New Year's resolutions at all? Do you have any this year? Uh, No. The main thing for me is that I continue to try to be a a good, strong man, as God would have me to be, obedient to his will and be a good husband, a a dad, and a granddad now. Uh, And that's about it. But uh, the most important thing for me is to continue to stand up and fight for my country as we see these very interesting times in which we are living. That is so right. While many are striving to challenge or perhaps torture themselves with New Year's resolutions of their own, you've called for the Republican Party to, quote unquote, grow a spine. How has the GOP proven itself to be in need of a spine and what can they do to obtain one? Well, I think there are two very prevalent uh, cases of that. You know, I, it's funny to say last year, but in December of last year, when you saw that omnibus spending package that passed in the United States Senate with 19 Senate Republicans, I mean, that was a great leverage point for the Republicans as they do have the majority in the House getting ready uh, to come in into 2023. So they undermined themselves. And if they had just stood up and, you know, forced the issue instead of once again allowing the left to back them into a corner and all this talk about government shutdowns, what have you, an omnibus spending bill is really unconstitutional in nature what the Congress is supposed to do. The only thing they're mandated to do each uh, election, each, uh, you know, congressional year, budget year is to pass a budget. They're supposed to pass 12 appropriations bills. They should be done separately and not thrown together in a big hodgepodge. But of course, they never do what they're supposed to do. And they wait till the last minute and they try to force everyone's hand with all of this fear mongering. And they create this, uh, I call it a, a budget gumbo where they just throw all kinds of stuff in there. And it's not really tasty like a, a true gumbo is. And so now you see what's going on in the House of Representatives, where because of the concerns that they've seen Kevin McCarthy over the past, I don't know, 12 to 15 years be pretty soft. He's been in leadership that long and look at the things that have happened over that period. Now they're wondering if he really is the guy that can stand up and be the Speaker of the House to stand up and push back against the progressive socialist left. I know a lot of people saying that there's a very slim majority, but you know Nancy Pelosi had a slim majority and she still was very uh, tenacious and tyrannical 
And even though you don't have the Senate under the control of the Republicans, you still have to make the case. You still have to use the power of the purse, which is something that they have with the, the Democrats and put the uh, I mean, with the Republicans have that and put the Democrats in a position of defense, put them on their heels. I want to touch on that a little bit, uh, the omnibus bill, uh, because our senator, John Cornyn, took to uh, social media and after his vote and tweeted, sometimes the lesser of two bad choices is all you've got, end quote. Did <laughs> Republican senators have no choice but to support the omnibus, as Senator Cornyn has claimed? Well, that comes back to what I said. If you have a spine, you stand up and understand that you do have a choice. And that choice is to say, no, that we're not going to go along with this. You know, $1.7 trillion more dollars of spending in a time when we were trying to fight inflation. So you continue to see this administration, and now with the cooperation of those 19 Senate Republicans, uh, continue to, to push inflation uh, where it is, 7.1%. Uh, that's still not a good place for it to be. And then also, you know, increasing our debt and deficit spending. So we're going to have to borrow that money. We're going to have to print that money, which is not good for the economy, not good for inflation. And so, yes, you do have a better choice. And the better choice is to say no to this profligate spending that we continue to see happening, which is, you know, some people are concerned about a decade of economic demise for the United States of America we're looking at. And $30 trillion in debt, I mean, you're in the red line zone. When you think about the debt to GDP ratio, we're in the red line zone. And so it's very disappointing that, once again, we have Republicans who are supposed to stand for something. They can tell you to fall for anything. You also wrote that this $1.7 trillion omnibus was not just bad policy, but it was unconstitutional as well. Mm -hmm. So expand on that, please. Well, sure. Uh, again, as I stated, uh, what the Congress is supposed to do is pass 12 appropriations bills. You know, you have to understand the budget of the United States of America is broken up in two different parts. On one side, you have the mandatory spending, which no one really touches. That's where Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, net interest of the debt. And that's growing at an exorbitant amount. I mean, I think it's between 63 to 65% of our budget. Then on the other side, you have discretionary spending. And that's where the Congress, you know, really does do the budgetary uh, processes and procedures. But that's broken down into two parts. You have defense discretionary and non-defense discretionary. And you're not supposed to just mix all of this together. You're supposed to pass these 12 appropriations bills. It's all about funding the government. It's supposed to be done by the end of the fiscal year, which is 30 September, and it never gets done. And so what ends up happening is they do this unconstitutional measure. They can do a continual resolution, which is a, you know, you know one month up to three months stopgap funding measure, spending measure. But what they end up doing is this thing called an omnibus, omnibus spending bill, which, again, it's unconstitutional. That's not what they're supposed to do. They're mandated by law. What they're supposed to do is pass these 12 appropriations bills. And I think that one of the key things when you talk about the reforms that people are looking for is that they got to get back to pa passing those 12 bills separate. Not, you know, putting a bunch of strap hanging things onto the uh, defense appropriations or, or what have you and, and throwing it all together. We've got to be very clear. We've got to be fiscally responsible. And that's something that people are seeing, being a Republican or Democrat. Look, the debt has increased. Remember, we had President Trump there. He had a Republican Senate, had a Republican House, and it continued to grow. The spending continued to grow. So that's what concerns people. 
The race for a new House Speaker remains fluid, as you alluded to, uh, as it appears at this moment that Kevin McCarthy is struggling to obtain the 218 votes needed for the position. He has the support of most House Republicans, but those few who oppose him have been unswayable, as we can see from this speech from Florida House Congressman uh, Matt Gates. Well, sometimes we have to do jobs that we don't really want to do. And sometimes we have to do jobs that we are called to do. And so, my colleagues, I rise to nominate the most talented, hardest working member of the Republican conference who just gave a speech with more vision than we have ever heard from the alternative. I'm nominating Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan is humble, perhaps today humble to a fault, maybe the right person for the job of Speaker of the House isn't someone who wants it so bad. Maybe the right person for the job of Speaker of the House isn't someone who has sold shares of themselves for more than a decade to get it. Maybe Jim Jordan is the right person for Speaker of the House because he is not beholden to the lobbyists and special interests who have corrupted this place and corrupted this nation under the leadership of both Republicans and Democrats. Maybe Jim Jordan would be the right person for Speaker of the House because he wouldn't fight us when we try to get a term limits bill on the floor. Maybe Jim Jordan would be the right person because he wouldn't fight us when we try to put a balanced budget on the floor and vote for it. And maybe Jim Jordan is the right person because he would endorse the plan that was built by the Texas delegation to finally secure our border. Mr. Jordan said in his nomination that there are certain bills that we have to pass to fix the problem. The challenge is the alternative has been someone voting for the very bills that have caused these problems. Mr. Jordan says that we cannot accept legislation like the omnibus, and I fully agree. And if Jim Jordan were Speaker of the House, if he were the leader of the Republican team, we wouldn't have that circumstance choking the economy of our country, increasing inflation, and diminishing the prospects of a better life for our fellow Americans. And finally, Mr. Jordan said we must engage in rigorous oversight. Every one of my Republican colleagues knows that the person who can lead that oversight effort, who works on it every day, who has the skill and the talent and the will is Jim Jordan. I'm nominating him and I'm voting for him. Does it portend well for the future of the House GOP that they are already so divided over this matter that the Republicans have resolved with ease some time ago? Well, the Democrats are going to resolve things with ease because they have a group think. They are not independent thinkers. They're kind of like the Borg from the old Star Trek Next Generation. Uh, they're a collective body. They don't <laughs> see themselves as, in the, as individuals. But without a doubt, what Kevin McCarthy should have been doing is realizing that his history is not that good. And you can't wait till the last minute to say, oh, you know, I've had a road to Damascus moment. I've had a new epiphany. Uh, this is what uh, I will seek to do because people aren't that very trusting. Uh, but then on the other hand, you have people that have brought up these cases and these issues. Uh, and I think their tactics are a little bit, you know, somewhat goofy. But you have to respect what they're what they're saying and what they're doing. What they're saying is the status quo, the status quo of Washington, D.C. is broken. 
you people keep saying that people keep wanting something different and yet we're trying to do that but now they're being punished they're being attacked they're being assailed i disagree with these republicans like dan crenshaw to calling them enemies or this taliban 20 talk because that's exactly playing into the hands of the democrats so at some point in time they have to unite uh without a doubt you have 200 members that have voted for kevin mccarthy you have 20 that are dissenting but i think it's important that the People understand why those 20 individuals are dissenting because there are structural problems wrong in the United States House of Representatives. And if we don't stand strong, if they don't get these uh, reforms in place, uh, we're going to have problems going on. Uh, but at some point in time, you have to say this is as good as it's going to get. And maybe you go ahead and you vote for Kevin McCarthy, but you hold his feet to the fire especially when you've now got the motion to vacate, which is something Nancy Pelosi would not uh, agree to. With the motion to vacate, then they can once again hold uh, a presumably, speak, presumably Speaker McCarthy's feet to the fire. Some believe that Representative McCarthy, despite his troubles, will be the next speaker, although it now looks like he may lose to conservative favorite Jim Jordan, despite the fact that Jim Jordan has endorsed him. Uh, there also is the possibility that Democrats will find a bag of misplaced ballots somewhere <laughs> that will turn the election in favor of Nancy Pelosi. Should Kevin McCarthy drop out of contention and endorse Representative Jordan, or should he soldier on? Well, Kevin McCarthy has already said that he is not going to withdraw his name. There's a bit of arrogance or ego there. You have to understand the reality before you. Uh, he's lost three ballots, and of course, they'll be starting on ballot number four, uh, and we'll see what happens after that. If you go a second day without winning any of these ballots, then uh, you got to go back to the drawing board. And I think it's so important that the 20 dissenters have to come up with someone that is viable. Jim Jordan's already said he does not want the position. He wants to uh, you know, focus on being the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, which is, is admirable. But if Kevin McCarthy does not step down, that means no one else is really going to stand up and, and look to take his place. Now, there is concern that uh, much the same as what we see here in the state of Texas is that Kevin McCarthy may go and try to woo some, uh, quote unquote, moderate Democrats to give him support uh, because Hakeem Jeffries right now is right there solid at uh, 212. But I don't think that would bode well for McCarthy if all of a sudden he goes and courts Democrats to be able to get himself to the speaker's position, because that means that he will be uh, being owing them. Uh, and what will happen as far as the, the priorities there for the Republicans. So I think right now it's very important for us to see what happens in ballot number four, maybe five, uh, definitely this second day. But at some point in time, we've got we don't want to go uh, like they did in 1923, I believe, with nine days because it just becomes a, a really bad version of Kabuki theater. And it plays into the hands, the, the narrative of the progressive socialist left and their media accomplices that says, look, the Republicans, they can't lead, they can't govern, they can't figure this thing out. And so there needs to be better messaging on the Republican side as well. If you were still in the House, who would you vote for? Ah, maybe if I was still in the House, I'd be running for speaker. I, I Look, I, I don't know. But, uh, you know, I know Kevin McCarthy. I've had some, you know, some troubles and, and issues with him. And look, the uh, the Republicans up there, they didn't want me. I mean, I stood up and, you know, voted on principles, voted on what I felt that the people back in my district wanted me to to vote on. And I got redistricted out 
by our Republicans. So I understand the games that they play when you don't want to go along and get along with them, uh, because my oath is to the Constitution, it's not to a party, it's not to a person. And that's how I would articulate things up there. So I think I'd be very challenged, you know, to go out and, and vote and support Kevin McCarthy. But at some point in time, I would understand that unity is very important. I don't want to see the snickering and all the jabs coming from the Democrats. But I know how to hold people's feet uh, to the fire. And I think that Kevin and I would have had a very interesting conversation before he officially made his uh, bid to be speaker. I don't believe that anybody's entitled to a leadership position. You have to earn a leadership position. And unfortunately, that's what I think we see happening uh, right now in the House GOP, a sense of entitlement instead of a sense of service. On your new blog at allenwest.substack.com, you announced that you'll be returning to Washington, D.C. in February to speak before the House Second Amendment Caucus. What are some of the things that we can expect you to say? Well, I think without a doubt, now that we have the GOP in control of the House, we have got to get the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms back into a constitutional box. We cannot continue to allow them to come up with these rules and regulations that undermine our Second Amendment rights. Uh, you know, recently we had Michael Cargill on our Steadfast Law podcast. He is the owner of the Central Texas Gunworks down in Austin, Texas. He's brought a lawsuit against the Alcohol and Tobacco and Firearms, ATF, because what they are doing now is they are revoking the licenses of these federal firearms licensees over clerical errors on a 4478 background check form. They are violating their own Gun Control Act of 1968 by making up these rules and not following along with the law, uh, trying to say that a clerical error is an intentional design to undermine a background check. This is horrible. And so what we see happening is that the left, instead of going after just saying we want to take away your guns, which they really want to do, they're trying to undermine, undermine all the means by which legal law-abiding gun owners in America can have firearms. So I think it's so important. We talked to the House Second Amendment Caucus, and they have to use that power of the purse. They have to have the hearings, bring the ATF up. They just created uh, a new uh, ATF form 4473 in December. Guess what? Not a lot of people are paying attention to that. They didn't put it out for comment. And it's kind of a setup where all of a sudden people can be out there still using the old 4473 form and someone can come in from the ATF and say, look, I'm revoking your license because you're not using the new form that we just put out last week, which is hard to access online. So it's those type of things that we need to make sure that we get uh, back under control because we are seeing our constitutional rights and especially the Second Amendment rights being undermined because of the ideology of the left. They want to disarm legal law abiding American citizens. They want to have these open borders. They want to release violent criminals back out onto the streets and they want to defund the police officers. They are creating the true chaos and confusion on our streets. One area of investigation the House Republicans might explore should they continue the J6 committee is the role of uh, Representative Pelosi ahead of the riot, which a GOP report claims uh, was she was negligent despite warnings uh, that violence might occur later that day. Why, in your opinion, would Ms. Pelosi not accept the thousands of National Guards that could have prevented the breach. 
It's very simple. Never let a good crisis go to waste. And what they saw was an opportunity to capitalize on this. And look at what they did. They absolutely capitalized on it in every way, shape, form, or fashion. Uh, you know, if you're going to have, you know, hundreds of thousands of people show up to Washington, D.C., first and foremost, you got to have some control mechanisms in place to make sure things don't get out of hand. But then you look at the, uh, the left, and I think that they were really trying to stoke those fires and allow things to get out of hand because they knew that would help them as far as a media narrative in the long run. But I think that we, we should just end this whole January 6th fiasco. No more committee and no more hearings about it. But let's get to the things that the American people are really concerned about. Their economic security, their energy security, national security, the border security, uh, their domestic security. We just talked about the, the rise of crime. And then also education, freedom, and parental rights. Those are the things. And we need to make sure that there's accountability, that there are consequences to unconstitutional actions that are going on in Washington, D.C. We need to hold the uh, Alexander Mayorkas of the Homeland Security accountable. We need to hold Christopher Ray, the head of the FBI, accountable. Uh, Mayor Garland, the head of the DOJ, accountable. And uh, we need to get to the to the bottom line of whether or not we have a president that has been fully compromised uh, by way of the dealings of his son, which I think is pretty much so well known. Last time you were here, uh, the Twitter files were just being released. Mm -hmm. uh, you've called the FBI a, quote, corrupt organization and an institution that is part of the Department of Justice that is no longer seeking out to do justice, but seeking out to do the will of an ideological arm, the progressive socialist left, end quote. Why do you believe this and what can be done to reform it? <laughs> Well, I mean, first and foremost, you got to do something about the senior leadership of the FBI. I mean, look at Andrew McCabe, uh, look at Peter Strzok, uh, and Peter Strzok's girlfriend, I forget her name, Lisa, whatever. But look at Lisa Page. The, Lisa Page, look at what they did. But yet there's no consequences for it. And now you know, thanks to the Twitter files, that the FBI was out there colluding and actually using taxpayer money uh, to get a private sector organization, Twitter to undermine the Second Amendment rights of the American, I mean, First Amendment rights of the American people, their freedom of speech, their freedom of expression. So who would have ever thought we'd get to a point where a government agency was undermining our constitutional rights? Not to mention on top of that, uh, they're going out there paying more attention to uh, arresting and investigating pro-life organizations than the organizations like Jane's Revenge that are burning down and committing arson against pro-life organizations. So this is a completely ideological, a completely uh, compromised uh, FBI, Federal Bureau of Investigation. Uh, nothing's going to change, I don't think, in this uh, Biden administration. But one of the things that the 20 dissenters have brought up is that there's a means by which uh, compensation and pay can be withheld from these uh, federal agency uh, members and employees that are out there doing these unconstitutional things. So those are the type of things that we can start doing, you know, holding the, the uh, leadership accountable, holding the agencies accountable and turning off the spigot instead of, you know, 87,000 new IRS agents and, and all of these different things. So uh, th that's where we've got to start being smart and using the power of that purse. You've been a guest on Tim Pool's Timcast IRL. He recently deconstructed the Georgia Senate race, and you concurred with most of his assessment, which led to a conversation that you and I had mm -hmm. uh, that I'd like to reconstruct for our audience. Team Walker failed 
to point out Herschel's success as a businessman and his many contributions to the Black community. They failed even to make a concerted effort to secure the Black vote. We discussed the avoidance of many conservatives to discuss the issue of race at all. However, um, we know that illegal immigration hurts Blacks and minorities the most. We know that abortion was intended to decimate the Black community, and it has, with over 20 million uh, Black babies aborted over the United States population uh, the year that you were born, the Black population that you were born in 1961. With so many issues affecting the Black community, why is everything labeled identity politics, and how can we articulate these issues without having that label applied? Well, it's not about identity politics. Identity politics is when you try to elevate someone based upon their skin color, whatever, but addressing the issues that the progressive socialist left, aka the Democrat Party, have uh, you know brought upon the Black community to its detriment, that's not identity politics. And I think that you take someone like Herschel Walker and you got to understand the battleground that you're in. Five metropolitan areas that you know really determine uh, the politics in Atlanta and in, in Georgia. That's the Atlanta metropolitan area, Augusta, uh, and and Herschel was brought up not too far away from Augusta in Wrightsville, Georgia, uh, Columbus, Savannah, and and uh, Macon. And to not have him go and be in those urban uh, population centers and connect with the black community and tell this story, uh, to me, that's reprehensible. It's unconscionable to do that. You cannot cede ground and territory over to the left because then you just look like uh, you don't care and you don't want to engage. We've got to engage everywhere, every community. And look at the success that we had here in the state of Texas where, you know, as chairman, I just showed up down in the Rio Grande Valley. They had never seen the chairman of the Republican Party of Texas down there before, and not just one time, but multiple occasions. We even had a, a quarterly SREC meeting in Laredo, Texas, right there on the border. And there are many members of the state Republican executive committee here in Texas who had never been to the border. And so those are the type of things that we have to do. We got to go on offense. We got to go behind the enemy lines. We got to cause the disruption and stop worrying about winning everyone over. But if you can win, you know, that 10 to 15 percent, you are going to make a difference. And you had all the issues on your side, as you just articulated some of them. Uh, we need to talk about the fatherlessness issue. We need to talk about the economic uh, lack of economic growth issue. We need to talk about the education freedom issue. Ron DeSantis won four years ago in Florida because he supported school choice. And he said to single black mothers, he would not relegate their kids to fail in public schools. And guess what? He came back and he passed a school choice legislation. So why did they not have Herschel Walker talking about that as, as along with uh, the business aspect as well? Those are absolutely cogent points, by the way. I mean, that just, it, it astounds me uh, that we don't talk about these issues more. So uh, what is your take on the George Santos controversy? <laughs> Well, you know, I think there's a, a verse in the Bible where it talks about do not worry about the speck in your brother's eye when you have a plank in your own. Uh, and so to go after this guy and, and call him a liar and all these things, Joe Biden is the father of liars. Uh, I mean, Joe Biden and his plagiarism and all of this. And I remember when uh, Senator Blumenthal of Connecticut 
you know, sat down and said that he uh, was a, a veteran from Vietnam. Come to find out he'd never been to Vietnam, but yeah, he's still a U.S. senator. Nothing, you know, came out of that. And so all of the, you know, hypocrisy of the left is, is so duplicitous, is so laughable. But, you know, George Santos has some problems. He has some issues, you know, fabricated uh, some things. But I think the Democrats are mad because guess what? They're the only ones that should be able to go out and fabricate stuff and make stuff up. Uh, and and uh, they don't like the fact that he was successful in doing that. So it's almost as if he took a page out of their playbook and used it against them. Now, do I believe that you should, you know, fabricate your resume? No, you should stand on truth. You should be a forthcoming person. But to have the Democrats, you know, going after him, that's really the pot calling the kettle black. That's what we say down south. Now, uh, the University of Pennsylvania in a report has suggested that the Marines forbid recruits mm -hmm. from addressing superior officers as sir and ma'am in order to avoid misgendering and offending them. What's your reaction? That's just stupid. I, I mean, I, I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, this is, you know, part of who we are, the, the, the part of the discipline and the respect that we have in the military. You know, to this day, I mean, I call everyone sir or ma'am if I don't know you uh, and, and I'm not comfortable with calling you by your first name. That's that's a modicum of, of respect. And you got the Air Force Academy out there telling uh, their cadets that they should not refer to people as mom and dad. I mean, you know, where have we gotten? with our military. And, you know, if, I, I just pray the Marine Corps looks at this and says, you gotta be kidding me. We're not gonna accept any of this foolishness. And, and there's a lot of back channel conversation in uh, military websites and e email threads that we're getting out of hand. And this is why you have recruiting and you have retention that's at all time levels because all this woke mess that is going on in our United States military. Yet. You have a secretary of the army that comes out and says there's no wokeness in the military while they sit around and they're worried about pronouns and they're worried about gender dysphoria and all these other things instead of worrying about our capability and capacity and how we rectify the problems and the situations with our recruitment. And military life is is a culture right i mean yes and that's and that's what you see here in texas i mean when we moved here to texas everything was yes sir and yes ma'am and no sir and no ma'am i mean that's cultural that's instilled mm -hmm. in texans as a value i mean that's inculcated and you know my kids picked up on that right away i mean because mm -hmm. in california it's yeah and that kind of thing but here it's yes sir yes ma'am mm -hmm. and so that that just seems to me that that's that's a no-brainer it is a no-brainer, but really what you see happening, Marie, is that the left is trying to tear down everything that is a fundamental truth in our society. There is male, female, man, woman, husband, wife, whatever you want to call it. That's just how it is. And, and really, it's an attack on God saying that he was too stupid to get it right. There was no Adam and Eve. It could be Adam could have chosen to be Eve and Eve could have chosen to be Adam, you know, based upon these these people and their thought processes today. But to, to disregard, I mean, we, we have birthing persons now. We don't have mothers or even the case of out in uh, El Paso, Texas, where a teacher was fired because she said they're they're no longer pedophiles. They're minor attracted persons. We got to be very careful about how they're redefining the, the language in our culture and breaking down our societal norms, uh, because this leads to uh, puts us on the road to perdition. 
That's absolutely right. In 2011, you wrote, quote, in Israel, I will get the opportunity to meet a true leader, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. At a time when Western civilization has no leading voice, I believe the only one that resonates speaks Hebrew, uh, end quote. Do you feel this way today now that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu is Prime Minister once again? Well, somebody's got to step up to the plate and be a leader. We don't have a leader in the United States of America. Uh, you know, Mitch McConnell's not a leader in America. Kevin McCarthy is struggling. Ronald McDaniel may not even get her RNC chair. Nancy Pelosi, Hakeem Jeffries, they, these aren't leaders. Joe Biden, who in the middle of a winter storm decides he's going to go to St. Croix and have a nice vacation at a private villa uh, provided to him by a donor. You know, what's the ethics investigation on that? Kamala Harris is not a leader. So, yeah, I mean, the only person that I see that has been consistently out there standing up for what is true and what is right and protecting his people uh, in a very dangerous neighborhood has been Benjamin Netanyahu. But I would have never thought I see America as it is today as a rudderless ship and no one's at the helm. Well, that's until you run for president. Oh, stop it. <laughs> So, Alan, if you're just joining us, our guest this segment has been uh, Colonel Alan West. Alan, how can our audience continue to follow you and find you online? Well, you know, I'm out there on all those social media platforms except TikTok because I'm not having anything to do with the Chinese Communist Party. And I think that we need to ban TikTok in this country. Uh, also out there on Substack, you can follow the Steadfast and Loyal podcast, Spotify, YouTube. Uh, just Google Steadfast and Loyal, they'll pop up. And it's just a pleasure and honor to be able to share thoughts, perspectives, and insights. And again, Marie, thank you so very much for resurrecting African-American conservatives. This is a very key platform, and uh, we have got to get the truth out there. As always, I appreciate you so much. Love you. Thank you. God bless. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. So now is the uh, point in our show where we bring in DK. DK, come on in. Hola. Hey, I'm sorry. I've been really, really sick, and I think it showed today. So no. uh, I, I wasn't as sparkly as I normally <laughs> am and bubbly because uh, I was struggling with my voice. But uh, so I'm going to let you carry most of the conversation. Uh, oh, my God. Afterwards. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. never happened. <laughs> uh, no, no, not if you watch us on Tuesdays and Thursday nights on Facebook. That was a plug, by the way. Uh, yeah, no. So what did you think? I thought he was uh, great on great on every point as always. Um, very smart, very articulate man. Great values, uh, great center. I disagree with one minor point that he made that he wanted to see the January sixth commission uh, disbanded, move on to other things. I think I support all the things he he mentioned, the investigations into Hunter Biden and um, the whole list of things, but. I think the January 6th Commission should continue under Republican leadership because I don't feel we got much of the truth from the January 6th Commission. I think we got a lot of distortions and dishonesties, and I think they should be swatted away with the truth as quickly as possible. In fact, I read today that there are videos and facts that they want to fall away for at least 50 years, which is which is outrageous. I mean, we... 
we allowed the Democrats to tear the country apart over January the 6th. It, it became a MAGA issue immediately. We don't know what happened that day. We don't know the full extent of the FBI involvement in that in the the riot. Some say there were there's evidence that the FBI was inside the Capitol building in full riot gear, not riot gear as in the police, riot gear as in people who we be rioting. They were inside the Capitol building even before the first breach occurred. So, you know, I can't swear that that's true, but I did get it, did hear it from a reliable source. So I would love to see the January 6th commission continue. I think there's a lot of things we need to know. I think we've been lied to on a number of points. I just did a, a blog that's also on our sub, Substack page that I raised concerns about what we're being told about Ray Ebbs and what we're being told about Nancy Pelosi's involvement uh, prior to that day. And, and I just want the truth to get out there. Fair enough. Okay. Anything else you want to bring up today? Yeah, there was um, a very sad story this week. Uh, I think almost everybody in the country has, has known about it already. The Damar Hamlin case, he's this 24-year-old guy, very fit, professional athlete, in the middle of a, not even the middle, the very first quarter of a football game, a Monday night football, he goes into cardiac arrest. They, uh, so as long as delay in the game, they had to give him electric shocks, CPR. He's still in critical condition. It was quite a tragic thing to witness, I thought. And I think it's very sad that immediately afterwards that the Damar Hamlin situation became an, yet another yes. debate over the COVID yes. vaccine. And I just wanted to bring up some points that may be relevant. I'm not going to argue either way. You know, some people made a choice not to get vaccinated. I made a choice to get vaccinated. I I got all the shots. I decided not to get another shot because apparently the vaccine doesn't do anything against the new variant, the XBB variant that's coming from China. But I did get all, um, all the shots before uh, the recent uh, variant. I walk around everywhere with my KN95 mask. If you see me in public, I'm, I'm, I'll be wearing this. I got into an argument on social media, believe it or not, with some guy who called me a, a fool because I'm so cautious about the, the COVID vaccine, the, the Kung flu, as I used to call it. And um, I remember his point was that I was foolish to get vaxxed, I was foolish to wear a mask, and I should take advice from him because he had caught COVID three times. I don't know why somebody who had COVID three times would want to give me advice, <laughs> you know, to mock my prevention of COVID, but that's where we were. And I wanted to bring up some um, points that I think that should be brought up. Um, there are a lot of people out there I saw this on social media who, who are arguing that the, the COVID vax is leading to an epidemic of, um, right after the DeMar Hamlin case, the, the sad tragedy of uh, his, his cardiac arrest, you saw on social media trending uh, sudden death. Apparently there's an argument that people who 
got uh, vaxxed are vulnerable and are dying from uh, heart issues, uh, cardiac arrest issues. And, and so it's happening with uh, a number of uh, people who are otherwise young and fit. And that's coming from not stupid people. Uh, some pe there has been argued by some people I admire a lot. Uh, Eric July, for example, he had a video after uh, ABC producer who was, I think, 37 years old, who looked like a fit guy, no issues of heart problems. He, he had a sudden death of cardiac, uh, from cardiac arrest, and, and it was brought up that he was also vaxxed. And there were other stories about young, fit individuals who were suffering from heart problems suddenly after being vaxxed. And I don't know if that's true or not, and I don't, I'm not saying it isn't, I'm not saying that it is. I don't know to what degree that is true. I mean... I just looked at some numbers to just to keep it in perspective. To to assume, let's make an assumption that since COVID uh, became available, I don't know the number again, but let's just say that a thousand people have died from post-COVID vax cardiac arrest. You know, people who are young and would not have had heart problems if they were not vaccinated. Let's say there's been a thousand cases. Um, there have been 235 million Americans who have been who are fully vaxxed. I think that's roughly 65% of the country. So even if a thousand of those people died from heart issues, which is a huge number, it's probably closer to 100. And even one death, of course, is a, it's a tragic situation. But even if a thousand died from cardiac arrest post-vax, that would only be 0.000004% of people who've been vaxxed who suffered from um, these heart issues. That's not a number you're going to hear on like Tucker Carson or these other outlets who are so adamantly against um, the vax and people like me who, who wear what they call, uh, uh, what did they call it? Um, face diapers. Obe obedient. Oh, face diapers. I was going to say yeah. obedience masks. That's what they, they call it. You know, because apparently I'm a sheep for trying to protect myself and my family from this uh, disease. So uh, that's, I just want to underscore that number. Even if it's a thousand people who suffer a post vax cardiac issue, that's still only. 0.00004% of the people who are vaxxed. And as a comparison, before the vax, which is around January of uh, 2021, there were reportedly 4,000 people a day dying from COVID issues. So, well, it, I th okay. I think there are a couple of things. One, COVID. Um, First of all, I want to say that I am praying for DeMar Hamlin. That has hit me very hard because I have a son who is 24 years old. So I can't imagine um, what that must be like. And I'm praying for DeMar. I'm praying for his mother. Uh, he, we saw him go to the sidelines before the game and give her a big hug. So uh, that definitely resonated with me as a mom of someone who uh, is that age. <clears throat> but to your point, 
COVID is a relatively, this particular uh, manufactured, if you will, uh, virus uh, in 2020 was brand new. And so I think that's why you see so many people dying from it. Um, when you have a new illness that no one is immune to or has built up any immunity to, you're going to see that more than you are going to see it with other illnesses that, you know, occur year after year, like the flu. A lot of people die with the flu because it's a little different every year, a little bit of a different strain. Um, but the flu is nothing new. It's been around forever. So, you know, people adapt to it. I mean, I think God created us with an adaptogen, a, an ability to adapt. Um, but to your point about the numbers, um, I read something today that said that the effects of the vaccine have, um, and I'm not a medical person, so don't quote me on this. I'm probably explaining it badly, but this is in a layman's terms, that um, people who have been vaccinated um, pass on that new genetic structure to subsequent children that they have. So this is going to be something that is going to be hardwired into future human beings. So maybe I don't die of myocarditis. Maybe I don't have uh, heart conditions, but perhaps a child that I carry in the future, that's a train's left the station. So maybe not that I carry, but if I were of childbearing age and I were to carry a child uh, and I had been vaccinated, perhaps I would pass on that genetic uh, predisposition to heart issues to that child. So you're right. This is a very complex debate. You and I have very different situations. I chose not to vaccinate. I am a selective vaxxer. I've always been a selective vaxxer. Um, I do believe in a lot of uh, homeopathic remedies. We do a lot of aromatherapy. I do have a cold and a flu right now, um, or some kind of something that's been going around. Um, and, but I believe it builds up the immunity, you know, but I, I get sick very, very rarely. I think this is maybe the second time in about five, six years that I've been sick. Uh, so I don't get sick very often. And I think that, that a lot of it has to do with um, the fact that, that we do a lot of homeopathic stuff. That said, I live with my husband who just turned 60 this year and my three children who are 20, uh, just turned 20, 21 and 24, all in good, relatively good health. They do have a few medical challenges, but relatively good health. You are in a different situation. You are a caregiver to someone who is elderly and um, is in the risk category for coronavirus. And I believe that that, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, was the motivation for much of what you did preventatively um, was for her benefit. So, I mean, I think that, that our situations are very different. And so each person has to evaluate their own health situation. They have to evaluate who they might be caring for and what that population is like. They have to take into consideration, am I a child? Am I in my childbearing years? If I vaccinate, will I, you know, perhaps uh, pass on any traits um, to my future progeny? So, I mean, I think there's a lot of things to think about, you know, um, but the bottom line is in all of this, Besides making that determination for yourself with the available information that you have on hand, 
is that this country, much like 9-12, came together. We had, we had um, sports rivals uh, come together, Bills fans, uh, Bengals fans, everybody praying on that field for DeMar Hamlin. The whole country prayed for DeMar Hamlin. He was trying to raise $2,500 for his child, uh, for his uh, charity that uh, it's a toy drive for children around the holidays. He was trying to get $2,500. And at last estimate that I saw, it was over $3 million. So um, I think the bottom line is we continue to pray for DeMar Hamlin. I've heard that his oxygen was at 100% on his ventilator. It's now been reduced to 50%, even though he is still on the ventilator. But there's still a lot of praying that we need to do uh, for DeMar Hamlin. And I pray that he experiences a full recovery. Yeah, I agree with you completely, of, of course. Um it's so shocking and sad to see a young man in, in, in the prime of his physical life, um, in his physical prime, to suffer a cardiac arrest. And it doesn't. And it is an anomaly. I mean, it is definitely an anomaly. Yeah, no, I just why. wanted to emphasize that point. Yeah. I mean, I just want to make sure, in, at least in my view, that those of, those of us who are fully vaxxed not go into panic mode because of this. Um, the dangers associated with the vaccine seem to be minute. I don't know anything about the story you just referenced, but it, it, the people who have an adverse reaction to the vax are uh, a minute uh, percentage of 1%. Uh, the, it's, it's, it's not an issue on a national scale, I'll, I'll say. And even if you choose not to get vax, I think these are so important. I think these help prevent um, uh, COVID and the flu and other Ill illnesses much more than. Does it prevent it? It lessens the. It helps. It helps prevent the like. It helps prevent catching COVID, the flu, colds, and any other of these viruses. I, I do believe it does. Um, I believe it lessens the severity, but also I believe that, um, you know, vaccines usually have a much longer period where they study the effects. And because we had a global pandemic, something was pushed through very quickly and maybe it did save more lives, um, but it has also cost some lives. And so I do believe that there need to be more longitudinal studies. Um, and just because we haven't seen the effects of it right now, doesn't mean that there may not be some in the future. For example, we're seeing like with all the Camp Lejeune ads, you know, the, or the asbestos ads, or what is that, mesothelioma uh, ads and those kinds of things. You know, it could be years and years and years from now that we find out that it had a cancer causing agent or something like that that takes years to manifest. We just don't know. Um, and so that's the thing about medicine. You go with what you know um, and you make the best informed decisions. Uh, I will say that there were a lot of things um, you and I have talked about Dr. Fauci and some of the claims that he's made. Um, I believe in fully informing people to the best of your ability and being absolutely as transparent as possible so that people can make their own informed choices based upon their own realities. And I don't think that people had that information from Dr. Fauci for sure. Um, and so, you know, what do you do? Uh, I, I don't think we can armchair quarterback this. I do think 
very much like political ideology. Um, you know, people who believe or lean to one side of the, the spectrum should not be calling names to the other side of the spectrum. I think that's one of the reasons why our show perhaps isn't as wildly popular as maybe other ones are where people are called demon rats and, um, you know, libtards and all of that kind of very disrespectful language. I don't think that elevates a conversation at all. Um, and so we've, we tend to be very nuanced in our conversations about things like this conversation. You know, I'm not a straight out anti-vaxxer, but I'm selective for sure. And I look at the risks and I look at the benefits and I look at, you know, a lot of studies, just like you do. Um, your situation is very different from my situation. And so what's right for you may not be right for me and vice versa. So I think that um, like political affiliation um, or whatever, things, you know, that could divide people. We need to stop the stigma and shame. We talked a little while ago, a few weeks ago about mental health stigma, that if somebody needs medication or somebody needs help, they should get medication. They should get help. So if somebody has chosen to vaccinate, we don't know what their situation is. We don't. So I can't judge them or talk about them or say things about them. But by the same token, I don't think they should say anything about me if I've chosen not to, if I have a healthy immune system, if I, you don't know what I take or what supplements I take or what I do in my home that help me prevent um, getting this illness. So, you know, I've had it once. I believe that I've got a pretty decent immune system to it. Um, but I don't know. There are variants that are going to be introduced into our society now, you know, uh, for perpetuality, you know, in perpetuity. So, you know, I don't know. It, it's a very complex, very nuanced conversation that people can hold with their families and with their care providers and with God. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned, Foss, uh, Dr. Fossey, yeah, a lot of things that he did was uh, inexcusable in my view. He he discouraged mask wearing. Um, he he then he overplayed the efficacy of those thin blue masks that were so available a few years ago. Instead of telling people that they need at least an N95 or KN95 mask to help prevent uh, catching the the COVID thing, it became. Um, uh, controversial to even mention alternatives to uh, the vaccine, like hydrochloroquine and other methods that le legitimate people, you know, um, we talk about Ivy League medical professors, they they recommend it and they were demonized for it, um, and and that's the bottom line. I just I just want to encourage people, especially with the XBB. Uh, virus, the variant coming over from China, and we see we see news clips from China how um, how those hospitals are being overloaded with elderly people, and, and it was very reminiscent of what we saw in this country not too long ago. So, I'm just going to wrap up with that. I'm just going to encourage people to not panic if you have the vaccine. Uh, the vaccine may not be much good now in 2022, but I think it was a good thing for me to take it. I'm, I'm sorry more people didn't get vaxxed and, and more than anything, I want to 
encourage people to wear your mask. Uh, I think it does much more. I think it does a lot of good as ridiculous as some people try to make you feel so. And that, and that's, that's my wrap up. My wrap up is that I selectively mask. I have OCD, so mine is more germophobia than anything else. Um, but I do believe that uh, we are a free people. We like our liberty. And so uh, I lived in California. Oh, I lived in California under the uh, Newsom regime where everything was locked down and, you know, it was insane while he went to French press laundry and had his $350 <laughs> lunches. Uh, yeah, do that as I help. say, not as I do. No, <laughs> no, not at all. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I saw churches being closed down. Um, the congregation that I attended, um, had, it was, it was really, um, difficult to not worship in person. And I think that that, was difficult for a lot of people of faith, um, you know, and, and I moved to Texas in yeah, the school lockdowns, having moved to Texas during the pandemic and come here. It was almost like the Babylon B couple, you know, coming from California to Texas where, you know, they've got their masks and they've got all these, you know, things that they do from back in California. That coming, they, to, coming to Texas from California. Exactly. That's what I mean. Coming to Texas from California. You know, it was kind of like, we can take our masks off. <laughs> we walked into the church building and hardly anybody's wearing masks. Like, what? So, you know, I mean, I think it's, it comes down to essential liberty. And the beauty of the fact that you and I differ on this is that we have the freedom to make those choices for our own families. And with that, this is another episode of African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. I'm Marie saying goodbye. I'm DK, I'm masking myself. <laughs> I still look Marie good, by the way. her eyes at you. <laughs> I still look very good. Well, okay, fair enough. <laughs> Until next time, we'll see you on the other side. Be sure to go to brightnews.com, go to anchor.fm forward slash A-A-C-O-N-S or A-A-C-O-N-S dot substack.com. And we'll see you next time.